Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Well, that football game did not go the way that I had hoped it would. Yikes. This is the Pigpen Podcast. Let's talk about this loss. Drag up that diesel. What is good? Welcome to the Pigpen Podcast. I'm your host, Denton Day, at Denton underscore Day, recapping a, uh, an ugly loss for the Washington football team, 30-15, to 15, traveling out west to take on the Arizona Cardinals. Not exactly what we had hoped for, but hey, it's a Monday. Let's talk about the game. Not a victory Monday, certainly not as happy as last week's podcast. Uh, gloomy Monday, maybe? Maybe that's the best thing to call this, a gloomy Monday, I think. I think that works. As always, if this is your first time listening, be sure to subscribe to the Hogshaven podcast feed. And if you're not a member already, go and join us on hogshaven.com. There are a lot of things that we want to get to. Obviously, we're not going to do like awards and things of that nature. We will highlight some of the really good performances from one guy, really, in particular, or two guys, if you will, in particular, both Ohio State guys, but unfortunately, uh, not our quarterback. There's a lot more bad things to talk about, though. That's normally what happens when you go out and you lose and you give up another early lead. And that's where I want to start because these slow starts, they have to stop. We have played two football games and we have managed to find ourselves in three score deficits early in the first half. That sort of thing has to stop moving forward. I know we are in the midst of a rebuild and I'm looking at this game through the lens of knowing that we are in the midst of a rebuild. And I think it's incredibly important to look at everyone, including our quarterback, knowing that we are in a rebuild, but getting down 17-0, getting down 20-0 in the first half, that stuff has to stop. We need to have guys step up in the first half. We need to have our offense start to get rolling in the first half. I love the comeback victory against Philadelphia, as I'm sure you did, but we can't make that a consistent thing. That That's just not what this team is built for. And at some point, one of these guys on the outside, not named Terry McLaurin, is going to have to start helping the quarterback out, is going to have to start making some plays. A lot is going to be said this next week. A lot has already been said just today on a Monday about our group of skill position players not named Terry McLaurin. And there's not a whole lot of defense that I can provide for those guys because, quite frankly, they're not very good. 
But here's the thing. I recognize as NFL players, it's not like they want to be bad football players, right? Like, I think we can all understand that. Like, they are not going into these games thinking, eh, it doesn't really matter. I'm just going to collect this check. I don't care if I play well. At least I'm hoping that's not the mentality held by some of these guys. My guess is that because they're playing on a team that is led by Ron Rivera, that's not the case. So we know they don't want to be bad, but the question is, when are they going to step up? When are they going to start making plays? When are they going to get real separation? When are they going to help their quarterback out by catching balls if it hits them in the hands? Some of these guys have to get better. Uh, I think we're two games into uh, the Dontrell Inman situation. I'm kind of done with him being wide receiver number two. Uh, I don't understand what the the concept of putting him at wide receiver number two was. I think he's a fine player for wide receiver three or wide receiver four. You can do certain packages. He's tall, so he's got got a lot of length. If you want to use him in certain certain packages and certain situational uh, football plays, like down at the goal line or maybe um, I, down at the goal line is really the only thing I could think of as to why I would use him and his height. But he is not a wide receiver too. I mean, the guy's been in the league for a number of years, and uh, there's kind of a reason we were able to pick him up like a week before the season started, two weeks before the season started, whenever we actually signed the man. I don't want to make Dontrell Lemon Paul Richardson 2.0. Richardson had one good season, and then we paid him a lot of money. Now, we're not paying Inman as much money, but he, in his time in the league, has had one really solid season where he eclipsed over 800 yards, and that was the only time that he's gone over 500 yards in a season, and he's been playing since 2014. So I know they're billing this as well. He's providing veteran leadership to our young guys, and and maybe that's the case. I'm not inside the locker room, so I can't uh, confirm or deny that. But that's not a wide receiver two right there. At least not a good one for a team that's supposed to be building up the confidence of a quarterback. I'm to the point where you can't tell me, and I understand like everyone has their own biases with certain players on this team, and I don't think you will find anybody that is more heavily biased in favor of Antonio Gandy-Golden based on the he went to Liberty, I went to Liberty connection, I want to see the guy succeed. But you can't really tell me that he's going to be any worse, right? I mean, he has size, he has length, he's, he's a great route runner in college, he, was, uh, he has all the capabilities of being a great receiver in this, in this league. Get him on the field more, please. He caught his first pass, it was, I think it was for three yards, three or five yards, it wasn't anything huge, but get him more reps, please. I, I want to see Antonio Gandy-Golden a lot more than I would like to see Inman. And if Inman is doing the what they say he is, which is providing veteran leadership, then I want to see him on the sideline after Antonio Golden makes a play, kind of cheering, coaching him up on the sideline like we want to see Alex Smith coaching up Dwayne Haskins on the sideline. Here's the thing. Inman, he broke my one cardinal rule this week. And this is something that has plagued our receivers for years and years and years. Inman is certainly not the first guy to ever do this. He, I'm sure, will not be the last guy to ever do this. But we had a third and short situation. I think it was about third and four. And Dwayne Haskins throws a drag route to Inman for a three-yard gain. It is the absolute most infuriating thing that I see on a football field from wide receivers. If we were a third and four, why are you running a three-yard drag route? At the very least... At the very least, you have to make that route four yards and catch it at the sticks. You can't 
run that y- that route one yard short. Jameson Crowder used to do that a bunch when he was here. I can't, I can't stand that sort of thing. It, like I said, it is the one cardinal sin for me as I evaluate wide receivers and what I want to see. You can't run that route one yard short of the sticks. You just can't. We weren't across midfield yet. We were driving, but we weren't across midfield yet at the point. So it's not like we're in a situation where you can go for it. I mean, you could have, yes, but that, based on the flow of the game, that would have been a poor decision. You just have to run that route better, and that's something he has to know. If he's the guy that's providing the veteran leadership, if he is the veteran in the wide receiver room, that is something specifically that he has to know. And I hope the coaches get on him for it. I'm sure he'll, he'll watch the film and think to himself, you know, I should have taken that route one yard deeper. But that's something that you have to know. That should be instincts. You've been in the league since 2014. That should be instincts. So I want to see more of Antonio Gandy-Golden. I want to see more of him and less of Inman. And let's see if what what we drafted Antonio Gandy-Golden for, uh, let's see that actually play out on paper. Because he was great at Liberty. Let's see if he can make that transition from an independent FBS school that was playing solid talent. Not great talent, but solid talent that AGG always played well against. Let's see if he can make that step into the NFL. Uh, Again, on the wide receivers, Steve Sims Jr. has, I'd say, probably about a couple more games at punt return. We don't do, we don't like slow starts. Uh, The turnovers on the on the punt returns have to stop. So if he fumbles again on the punt return, that that has to be it. I love him because he's explosive. We've seen that on kick returns, and I would keep him on kick returns. But for punt returns, we can't have you fumbling. We we just can't have you doing that. I know he's explosive, so I'll give him a couple a couple more go rounds at it. But if he fumbles. Within the next few weeks, we got to yank him off of punt return coverage. It's really that simple. We can't give away free possessions. And that was part of that weird situation where we had, I think it was like three total turnovers between the two teams in eight plays is what they said on the broadcast, which is just a nuts thing when you sit down and think about it. And it's unfortunate for us because we were two of those three turnovers. You had the the Dwayne Haskins fumble that we'll get to momentarily. Uh, And then you had this for us. Landon Collins made a great play on the ball to pick off Kyler Murray. We weren't able to capitalize on that, and then we had the punt return fumble. So we have to get better at limiting those turnovers. We can't put our defense uh, right back out on the field. Because our defense, I didn't think, played terribly. They certainly weren't as shiny as they were last week. They didn't have eight sacks against Philadelphia. They didn't have those two uh, easy picks, the two forced turnovers. They did have the one, as I mentioned, Landon Collins made a great play on the ball. But I thought the defense played relatively well against a guy in Kyler Murray that I think is going to be in the conversation for most valuable player. It's Russell Wilson's award to win this year. I know we're only two weeks into the season, but I'm talking just longevity here. This year is Russell Wilson's time to win the MVP, but I do think Kyler Murray will be involved in the conversation. So the defense played solid. I just, the offense didn't do them a whole lot of help. And we know that the offense is bad. It sucks because we also know that we have a ton of cap room. So it's really weird knowing that we have all this money to spend and we didn't go out and get better playmakers for Dwayne Haskins, both at the wide receiver position and the tight end position and the offensive line because the offensive line is terrible. It is simply not good. Uh, I don't know what the plan was. Hopefully, maybe Sadiq Charles is going to make some form of a difference, but I'm not relying on him to be the savior of this offensive line. The, The group is just not a great group, and it seems like it's unfair to evaluate Dwayne Haskins based on what I'm seeing on the field right now. And of course, I'm a Dwayne Haskins defender. That's not a secret. I don't pretend to make that a secret. I love Dwayne Haskins. I think uh, the hot takes that are coming out 
about Dwayne Haskins. I mean, slow your roll, pump the brakes a little bit here. You got to remember, this is only the guys, this this Sunday against Arizona, this was only the dude's ninth start as an NFL quarterback. He's only played in 11 games, which is crazy to think about because we've been talking about him for the better part of a year and a half ever since he was drafted. But he's only played nine, he's only started nine games, only played in 11 games as a professional quarterback. So you can't expect him to be this this lights out dude. He's going to make some mistakes. His accuracy still is not absolutely fantastic. But even Ron Rivera said, like, a lot of the stuff that we're seeing is fixable. He just needs to slow down a little bit. And credit to Dwayne Haskins because as the game progresses, it seems like it slows down. We just need him to take that mindset and apply it to the first quarter. And some of the stuff with our offense late was because Arizona started to play off a little bit. Uh, So we can't just ignore that fact. But I did think the offense got a lot better as time went on. I'm by no means out on Dwayne Haskins. I think if you're out on him this early, you were never really in on the guy. Um, I just think we need to understand what exactly it is that we're dealing with. I, I, I I fell into this. I'm sure many of you fell into this as well. I was super hyped after the Philadelphia win last week. I mean, I was super hyped because I thought Philadelphia was going to be a really good football team. I watched them get trounced by the Rams again this week, so maybe that lowers my expectations just a little bit. Now, hindsight is twenty twenty, of course, but I was hyped after that Philadelphia win because I thought, all right, maybe we really do have something here. Maybe we are a little bit ahead of schedule, but this was a reminder that this is very much still a, a rebuilding year. So I'm not out on Dwayne Haskins. I do want to talk about that fumble. Uh, there, are, there are a lot of things that were wrong with the fumble. Uh, here's the big issue, because I watched this play a couple times. I wanted to see exactly what was going on. We were in a single back set, two tight ends, a wide receiver on each side. We had Terry on Dwayne's right, Steve Sims Jr. on the left. We sent Marcus Ball in motion, but he stayed in the block. Sprinkle was on the line, so no Logan Thomas on the play. But Sprinkle was on the line. He runs kind of a short drag. It was a delayed route. He runs a short drag over to the right side, which is where Dwayne Haskins ended up looking. Terry, or um, not Terry, uh, Steve Sims Jr. on the left side, it looked like he was option number one. Just following Dwayne's eyes, it looked like Steve Sims Jr. was option number one. He ran kind of a short drag up to a deep in, or a mid, not a deep in, but an in route, and it looked like he was option number one for Dwayne Haskins. He ended up getting the ball knocked out of his hands. We lose the ball. But here's the problem. I didn't like where this play was going even if Dwayne didn't lose the ball because he was looking over to Sims Jr. and and Sprinkle over on that right side. But Terry McLaurin was coming from the right side and he ran kind of across to the left. And they were running like this weird little zone. It looked like I don't have the all 22, so I can't see exactly who is where based on the television's... um, the, the broadcast angle, the all 22, by the way, is where you see all 22 players on the field, just in case anyone didn't know that. So I don't have the all 22, but it looked like Terry had a step on Buda Baker. And if Dwayne zips it to Terry, it's a touchdown. And that's really what made me the, the most angry about this play because it should have been Terry McLaurin's first touchdown of the game. Instead, Dwayne was looking. He didn't step up when he needed to. The, the, I mean, the offensive line just got completely crushed on the play in general, and and we lose the football. So not only do we lose the football, it very much was kind of a seven-point swing because it should have been a touchdown for us to Terry McLaurin. Dwayne just had to zip it. We know he has the arm strength to zip it. He just had to put a good throw to Terry, and Terry's making the catch, 
and he scores his first touchdown of the game. That, that, that was the part that hurt the most about that particular play because that should have been six for us and it wasn't. But other than that, I mean, Dwayne has, he still has certain accuracy issues, but I say now I would value the upside more than those little ticks. I mean, he's really not making bad throws to the point where he's turning it over. Like he's not forcing into to quadruple coverage. I mean, we have seen quarterbacks in our past just make the stupidest throws and it leaves you wondering like, what the hell are you seeing on the field? He's not doing that. He could step up in the pocket a little bit better. He'd get a feel for the pocket, although it's difficult because the offensive line is terrible. He could grip the football a little bit stronger when he knows that guys are coming, you know, two hands on the ball type of situation. But other than that, I, I, did, I didn't really think Dwayne was um, just god-awful. He wasn't great, but he wasn't god-awful. And I think some people are kind of making it out as if he was god-awful, and that just simply wasn't the case. The upside is there. We just need to provide better tools for him to actually showcase that upside. And that starts with the offensive line. And then it, it kind of falls with play calling. Give him that up-tempo. The offense operates a lot better with the up-tempo play calling, I feel, at least through two games. Now, two games, not a great sample size, but the offense operates a lot better and a lot cleaner with more of that up-tempo play calling. All right, now let's get to the one kind of good that we had from the game. Uh, Terry McLaurin is, is awesome. In case anyone wasn't aware of that, I think at this point you should know that Terry McLaurin is awesome. But he is just so good at playing football. Uh, it's unbelievable. Seven receptions, 125 yards and a touchdown. And doing so while shadowed for a majority of the game by Patrick Peterson, who is an elite corner. He's older now, but Patrick Peterson is an elite corner. And it didn't seem like a lot of the times he wanted anything to do with Terry McLaurin. At points in the game, Arizona did kind of shift to a little bit more of a zone. And I don't know I don't know why you would play zone against Terry McLaurin because not only can he beat man-to-man coverage, he is great at finding holes inside of the zone. And we saw that a couple times, and he was able to make some big plays on offense. So I don't know why you would play zone against the guy. I don't know why he played man against the guy because you can't stop a man-to-man coverage. The only, the only thing that stops Terry McLaurin is us. I mean, that, that's it. After watching this dude, now he's played a full 16 games. This was officially his 16th game as a member of our organization. By the way, fourth 100-yard game in his first 16. That's a franchise record, so congratulations to Terry for that. I don't, I like, he, he's just like, he's unbelievable. I don't know why he would play zone against him. I don't know why he would play man against him. He, he's so good at finding the soft spots, and nobody can cover him. If Patrick Peterson is having issues covering Terry McLaurin, I don't know how you can expect anybody else in the league to do so. The problem is our play calling and sometimes the the inaccuracies of Dwayne Haskins get in the way. Because he should have had two touchdowns in this game. I'm sure he should have maybe been approaching 150, 200 yards uh, with some of the, if the throws are just a little bit better. But we hit the sweet spot with him. He had seven receptions. He was targeted 10 times. That, I would say, is the sweet spot. When you have an elite wide receiver... And I think it is fair to at least place Terry McLaurin on the outskirts of the conversation of a elite wide receiver. I'm not saying he is DeAndre Hopkins, although his numbers were better than DeAndre Hopkins on Sunday. I'm not saying he's DeAndre Hopkins yet, but he's very much in the conversation for great wide receivers in this league. And this is a stacked league of, of wide receivers. I mean, the 2020 grouping of wide receivers in the NFL is just through the roof. And he's in the conversation, at least on the outskirts, for being an elite wide receiver in this game. I don't think that's a hot take by any stretch of the imagination. 
But because of that, because he's an elite wide receiver, I think the sweet spot is targeting him at least 10 times a game. At least. We hit that this week. 10 targets, 7 receptions, 125 yards, and a touchdown. Those are numbers that you could live with, but that needs to be more consistent. Right now, Terry in total has been targeted 17 times, so you'd like to see him targeted a little bit more against Philadelphia following that 10-target rule. And kind of adding and emphasizing that, his targets are tied for first on our team with Logan Thomas. Logan Thomas is a very fine tight end. It does hurt a little bit. Not a little bit. It hurts like for real. Seeing Jordan Reed have some success in San Francisco and knowing that that Logan Thomas is our go-to pass catcher. And that's not meant to knock Logan Thomas. Uh, I like the guy. He played his high school football where I covered high school football for a year. Not at the same time, but I was there like six years after. Probably a little bit longer than that. I don't know how old Logan Thomas is off the top of my head, but he's quite a few years older than I am. But I, I got respect for that area in terms of football. He played his football over there. I like Logan Thomas, but we know that Jordan, Cat, Jordan Reed was an elite pass catcher when his brain wasn't rattling around his head. So seeing him have some success with San Francisco, albeit against the Jets, who are god-awful. I gained a lot of inner peace and solace knowing that even despite the fact that we lost this week, we are not the New York Jets. Because, Lord have mercy, do they suck at football right now. That aside, Terry McLaurin should have much more targets than Logan Thomas. Like, point-blank, period. He should be getting at least... 5 to 10 more through 2 to 3 weeks. We'll see how it goes next week. But if the numbers are even remotely close in terms of targets next week, like they should not be. This offense has to do a better job of emphasizing Terry McLaurin. Now the matchup, I won't get too much into a preview here because we've got another preview pod uh, coming later this week. The matchup is going to be a fun one if you love cornerbacks because Denzel Ward is really good for Cleveland. I mean, that dude, that dude is really, really good for Cleveland. So I'm excited to see Terry versus Denzel Ward. It'll be the third week in a row that Terry is going up against a really good cornerback, and I'm expecting really good things to happen yet again. He just has to be targeted more than a guy like Logan Thomas and more than everybody else. Point blank period. He's the best playmaker on our team, and when he steps on the field, when we are on offense, I have yet to see a scenario where he is not the best player on the field. Now, that might change this week against Cleveland, not for Denzel Ward, but for Miles Garrett, because Miles Garrett is really good. So, like, I can't, I can't just pretend like he's not good. So, that might be the first time this season and the first time in a long, long time that Terry will not be the bona fide best football player on the field when he steps on it because Miles Garrett is that damn good. But other than that, Terry McLaurin is the best player on the field when he's on the field. You have to do a better job getting him the football. 10 to 12 reception or 10 to 12 targets should be a normal thing in this offense. That's what I want to see going forward. And then quickly here, let's wrap up a little bit with the defense. I didn't think the defense played terrible. They got to Kyler Murray three times. Chase Young with another sack. He has two and a half through two weeks. He has lived up to the hype so far. He's an absolute menace, a wrecking ball on our defensive line. The problem is our defensive performance just was not as shiny as it was last week. When you have eight sacks and two turnovers, that's a pretty good performance, especially against a division rival. 
And Kyler Murray is elusive as all hell. We had three sacks. We probably had a, could have had a couple more. But he's just a shifty individual. I mean, he's, an, he's, a really good, he's a really good football player. Like I said, I think he's going to be in the MVP conversation. Uh, so don't hang your head too low after not being fantastic against Kyler Murray. But I didn't think they played terrible. In fact, I would argue that they played well enough to win a football game if our offense just got it going earlier. So I think from that perspective, you can be pleased with the way the defense performed. I mean, 30 points, yes, that's not great. But a lot of that is because the offense was putting them right back out on the field, whether it be with the turnovers, with the Dwayne Haskins fumble, the, the punt muffed, or the, punt, the fumble on the punt return, not the muff, but the fumble on the punt return, a quick three and outs, getting Tress Way on the field as quickly as possible. Because of those, I think that's why you start to see those 30 points kind of accumulate on the scoreboard. But other than that, I thought the defense played well enough to win the football game. Uh, I do have some serious questions. I know a lot of people on this site were huge fans of Troy Apke. Obviously, our organization was huge fans of Troy Apke. uh, And kind of a two-part question for anybody that was in that group. And be honest here. Like We know who you are. Be honest. What exactly did you see in him? And how bad was Sean Davis in training camp? Because if Sean Davis, who we paid guaranteed money to this offseason, if he was so bad as to where we cut him after paying him some of that money, like he must have been terrible during the offseason. Because Apke is not exactly like fantastic. Because, and... Look, there are obvious parallels in this situation here, right? I kind of wanted him to be a little bit like Reed Dowdy. You get the parallels. Hopefully, I will not spell it out for you, but you should be able to do simple math here. There's obvious parallels between Reed Dowdy and Troy Apke. I wanted him to be somewhat like Reed Dowdy, and Reed Dowdy was by no means the best safety in the world, but he was a solid player for us for a number of years, and Troy Apke just is not that. I don't quite know what he is. I don't want to go over the top and say he's just not good I don't because I don't think that either. I think he's somewhere in between of just not being great but not being Reed Dowdy. So I don't know what exactly that means for him. But it's it, it should be pretty clear that there, there are flaws. And I know this for a fact, by the way. I'll just, I'll just full-blown draw the parallel for you because I have talked to guys that played in the league and played high-level football in college as well. They kind of confirmed this. So multiple different angles here. Teams will game plan to target the white safeties. That's a very real thing in the NFL. So if you're wondering, like, wow, they are really just targeting Troy. Yeah, they are. NFL coaching staffs make plays to target the white safeties. That's a very real thing in the NFL, and we are seeing it front and center uh, with our buddy Troy Apke. But other than that, I mean, you hold DeAndre Hopkins to a, a much better stat line. He torched the San Francisco 49ers defense last week. Uh, he did not torch us. We had that one just complete and utter uh, breakdown in coverage where DeAndre Hopkins was standing alone in the end zone. Uh, I mean, literally the one guy that you don't want to stand alone in the end zone was wide open. But other than that, I thought they played him much better than San Francisco did. And San Francisco, pretty good defensive team. So again, the defense, not as shiny, but their performance was good. Uh, It it was good enough to to win the football game, and unfortunately, the offense just did not help them out. And finally here, as far as the Ron Rivera stuff goes, uh, the not wanting guys to get hurt, 
I'm hoping we just kind of forget about this at some point this season. That's kind of my overarching thoughts on this. Like, I hope by the end of the year, this is just kind of a no no story that we're like, oh, that that's right. That did happen at, at one point. It kind of goes against a lot of what he has preached as a head coach. But look, I, I'm willing to let this one slide. I, I don't think it's uh, something we need to absolutely lose our minds over. Uh, I think it, it was interesting that he was outward and public with it. I think maybe he'd like to eat those words a little bit. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lose my mind over that situation. I I don't think that was um, I don't think that should be made too much into a big deal. There there are other things that I saw from this game that I would like to put more emphasis on uh, than that there at the very end. All right, that's kind of the general overlay, the reaction. This was not supposed to be a damn near thirty minute podcast, but that's just hey, that's just kind of how it is. I'd love to know your thoughts as to all the things that we discussed. Uh, how great Terry McLaurin is and how everyone else on the offense needs to be a lot better. Let me know on Twitter at Denton underscore day. We got a preview coming up uh, later on the week for uh, Cleveland coming up this weekend. Uh, So be on the lookout for that. Until then, I'll see you next time on the Pigman Podcast.